Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello and welcome to Series 3 of Humans of Excess Manchester with me, Clint Boone. This series is sponsored by our friends at Safer Roads GM, helping us to keep ourselves and each other safe on the roads of Manchester. This week I'm joined by co-founder and managing director of Manchester International Festival, Christine Court. Christine talks about how she found a dream career while she was still a teenager. I've always had that dancing, spirit, clubs, live music. I love popular culture. Yeah. It's been in me forever. Before I even knew what culture meant. And she talks about how she wants to improve the next generation's opportunities with the Factory Project. And Manchester 
has a brilliant cultural infrastructure but it needs a building on this scale and you know to have a truly flexible arts facility we need it gives me great pleasure to welcome to Humans of Excess Manchester the co-founder and current managing director of the Manchester International Festival. It's the first festival of its kind in the world and this lady's work has brought into contact with such people as Damon Albarn, Brian Eno, Kenneth Branner, Vanessa Redgrave amongst many others. Her name is Christine Court and it's a privilege to have you in here, Christine. How are you? Thanks for having me, Clint. I'm all right. Bit of a cold, I but I'm so, going to yeah. motor through. You're sounding all right so far. Thanks. And it'll get easier as the, uh, the, the show goes on. Uh, so first of all, we are going to talk about your career. We're going to talk about the amazing work you've done with the Manchester International Festival over the years. Uh, we're yeah. going to talk about the city of Manchester and its spirit. That's what we're all about here. Let's start by talking about your upbringing. You were born and raised in Blackburn, I believe. I was. Um, working class girl through and through. Mum worked in boots on the pharmacy counter. My dad was a gas fitter and I was always getting told off going to see my mum in boots because my hair was back combed. I had my granddad's coat on that was full of holes and I wasn't respectable enough for going <laughs> and see my mum when she was working. So, so you, were, you were a child of the 60s, I think. Is that right? Yeah, 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 I was. Always been a bit of a rebel. Yeah, amazing times. Yeah, yeah. And music was a bit of a thing for you as well, wasn't it? As it was with myself and Definitely, all. Definitely, always. You know, yeah. when I was growing up in Blackburn, I was that girl who used to organise folk to get out of Blackburn. So I used to organise a minibus on a Saturday night, uh, meeting at eight um, from Blackburn Boulevard and going to Legends yeah. or Pips, 16 of us, and it was always packed. I sort of knew from that point, you know, when I was like, well, no, nobody else is going to organise it. I knew that I was going to start organising for a career. Isn't that funny, that? Started so off weird. little minibus in Blackburn. Yeah, yeah. And look at you now. Definitely. Bringing people like York Horner into town and David Lynch. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah, yeah. I can't wait to get talking about the International Festival because it's quite a unique thing that you've started there. But let's go back to your first... uh, How did you do at school? Were you a clever kid or were you a bit of a a rebel? I was a clever kid, but I was totally diverted by music and nightclubs and boys, if I'm totally honest. I was... I got to about 16 and I was like, whoa, there's a whole world out there. So I used to go to the Lodestar with my old pal who I saw at the weekend who did National Festival of Making, Wayne Hemingway, yeah. ex-Redder Dead. So we'd go. My dad was the hero of all the dads, bar none. He would take us, me and my three friends, on a Friday night. He'd take us at 8 o'clock. I wasn't really allowed to go. I was 15. Mm-hmm. And then he'd come and pick us up. He'd set his alarm and come pick us up at 3 in the morning. So I've always had that dancing, spirit, clubs, live music. I love popular culture. Yeah. It's been in me forever. Before I even knew what culture meant, I just knew I loved live events. I just want to go off on a little tangent here because you mentioned the Lord Star. Yeah. I went there once. Did you? And I was uh, I was big into the punk music from 1976 onwards. It was yeah. just all about the punk. And then one night in probably 1977, it would be Top of the Pops night, so probably Thursday night. Yeah. And the band that were on the TV was uh, the adverts. Yeah. And this is probably not quite your generation. I'm thinking you might have been a bit later than this in terms yeah. of going to Lord Star. But we found out from the enemy they were playing in Preston that night at the Lord Star or Preston between yeah, Preston and Blackburn. It is. Yeah, Manchester. It's between Preston and Blackburn. You so like, bear in mind, yeah. I, I lived in Oldham with yeah. mum and dad. I had a moped. I had a best friend in Rochdale. I drove uh-huh. my moped to his um, his house in Rochdale. Like, let's go watch this band. Let's go watch this band. Yeah. They're playing over the hills tonight. We got the last buzz yeah. towards Preston. Managed to find our way to the Lord Star, which is just in the middle of a moor. Yes, so we private were, house. We were two uh, like working class kids from this end of the world, just found yeah. our way, and we saw the band who, who met the adverts wow. in there. 
It's like a cavern, wasn't it? It was like a It was cave. like that, yeah, yeah. And it's yeah. the building's still there now. It's a yeah, private yeah, it's a house private now. house now. It's got a great big wall around it. I'm always trying to peer over it. I live quite near yeah, there now. I know, like, go and play with your own end. Yeah, yeah, but it was run by a <laughs> wonderful woman called Margaret Grimshaw. Yeah. My mum always used to say, I'm not sure this is true, she was the first topless barmaid in Blackburn, and then she opened this club. Oh, my God, it was amazing. Yeah. And that- I was way, way too young to go. I just went every week. Yeah, it was amazing. People like that, though, that, that you mentioned there, they're just uh, these pioneers that made yeah. some amazing things happen around around the country. I mean, the, the electric circus in Collier, where I saw the Sex Pistols on the Anarchy tour, they were like one of only probably two towns in the in the, the country that didn't cancel the Pistols gigs yeah. after the controversy on TV. Exactly. So uh, we, we need, thank, thankfully, we had all these amazing people keeping things moving for us. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, what about your first jobs, then? First jobs, uh, well, my very first job was, um, I've always liked human beings. I think that's my best thing. Uh, grumpy ones, wonderful ones, funny ones. I've worked <laughs> in cafes. I worked. I used to work in Boots when my mum got me the job on the record counter. Do you remember when Boots had records? Yeah, absolutely. That's where I met my husband. He came in with a friend. Um, I went to London. I studied in Liverpool and I went to London because... I sort of knew that in Blackburn and in the north for me then, I just knew I wanted to do something different. A lot of my friends were going to be accountants or solicitors or doctors. You know, I went to a comprehensive school, but they were all quite aspirational. Mm. But I just knew I wanted to work in the arts. I didn't even know what that was. So I went to London and I did a diploma in management and administration of the arts after my degree. And I taught my way. There are only two places. I've always had a very clear head on what I wanted to do. I only wanted to work in two places in London, Riverside Studios or the ICA, the Institute of Contemporary Arts, because they were right at the top of their game. And both offered me a job. And um, I ended up working at Riverside as like chief envelope stuffer, you know, but you know, when you're that age, you're like a sponge, you're just soaking everything up. And I just stuffed thousands of envelopes, but I'd be listening. Brian Eno's our choreographer in residence. Michael Clark's coming in to do this dance piece. Vanessa Redgrave's doing a recital. And I'd be like, can I go? Can I just come? I'll bring all the envelopes. I'll stuff them. But can I Can I just listen? And, and I learned so much. And then they, I just kept getting promoted and promoted and promoted. And then by the end, I was um, marketing director. And we had a gallery. We had... Um, a bookshop. We had two studio spaces where we did the most extraordinary international work. We had Life from Riverside, which was a TV program where lots yeah. of bands used to come. We had a brilliant restaurant and a and a good bar. So it was like from a very early age, I was immersed across art forms. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was learning so much. That that's where I learned the most. Yeah, it's amazing. And wait, was that? Was that pre-TFI Friday at the Riverside? Yeah, that yeah. was way before yeah. TFI Friday. So were you aware of that amazing history that it had as a TV show? Definitely. One of my first projects was to spend about a month at the BBC researching, you know, the, the first place that um, colour TV was made was, was at Riverside. Riverside. Wow. And, you know, I used to look after lots of the artists. I want, do you remember Max Wall? Yeah, the uh, comedian. He, yeah, yeah, he was doing a wonderful piece, Crap's Last Take, Beckett. Right. And he took a real shine to me. And I was to take him to Wogan, you know, to be interviewed on Wogan to promote Crap's Last Tape. <laughs> and and I was really told not to let him stop by a pub. 
whatever I do, do not stop the car because he mustn't have a drink before he goes right. on Wogan. <laughs> anyway, he persuaded me to stop the car at a brilliant pub in Shepherd's Bush. He yeah. had two pints, went on to Wogan, didn't promote the show. I thought I was going to get sacked. But then he came off Wogan and then double, did a double take and Wogan promoted it. So I had wonderful times with amazing artists. Yeah. Really and, lucky. And you're still only just fresh out of your teeth. Yeah, I was early 20s, really yeah. early 20s. And then you got Ed Unted. Was it the uh, Conran, uh, Terence Conran? Yeah, I did. I knew Sebastian Conran because he lived near Riverside. And I went to work at the Design Museum, which was on Shud, Shud Thames. Um, mm-hmm. I can liken it to some areas around Manchester. It was, you know, that have now been super developed, like Ancoats and stuff. It was at a time where it was just like a barren wasteland yeah. and, and the Design Museum were there. So it's a huge job to do in terms of bringing audiences out of central London to this bastion for design. Yeah. Um, if I'm super honest, Clint, it wasn't really me. It was like, you know, my mum and dad came from Blackburn. I had a beautiful office overlooking the Thames. Yeah. Gorgeous crockery, their tea was served in. But for me, in those days, it was quite surface it was, um, and I loved the realness of Riverside. Yeah. And I just, it it didn't suit my temperament. Was, it, was it not creative enough? Because it was all to do with showing off other people's yeah, work, etc. Yeah, it was, it was. But I just found it, um, it just wasn't right for me. And I was super lucky because um, when I'd been at Riverside, I'd done loads of work with Time Out, the mm. listings magazine. And... I'd met lots of journalists there, the film critics, the marketing people, the comedy people, because Riverside spanned art forms. And when a job was going, uh, someone from there said, hey, you know, we really want you to come in and talk about this job. And Time Out is, um, you know, I lived London. You know when people, some people say they live in London, but they barely do anything. Yeah. When I was at Riverside, whenever I do anything... I try and completely throw myself at it. Yeah. And I did go to gigs. I did go to openings. I did go to restaurants. I did go to bars. I went to loads and loads of film premieres. So when this job came up at Time Out that I was being lined up for, I was like, I've got to do it. I've got to do it. So that was, I went in as marketing manager into a wonderful team of, of human beings. And Tony, who owns Time Out, founder and um, owner then, is still one of my closest friends in all the world. He cares passionately about information and its dissemination and connecting people to mm. art and culture. And that's something I really care about. So, yeah, I got a great job at Time Out. Sounds like the other Tony from up this part of the world, Tony Wilson. Very much like yeah. Tony Wilson. A real catalyst getting and people together. And when I brought Tony Elliott for the first time to Manchester when we were starting the festival, I got um, a room of 10 people, sorry I didn't invite you, That's all right. around <laughs> who... That's probably DJing or something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> who I thought Tony Elliott would really like to meet and Tony Wilson was definitely one Amazing. of those people. Amazing. And you were at Time Out then for 12 years or so? I was there for a long time, but I had three different jobs. Um, so I ran divisions like... The guides division. So I don't know if you remember that Time Out 
used to have probably a hundred plus guides, so time out guide to Paris, London, Amsterdam, etc., etc. And that was an amazing collaboration with Penguin Books. Right. I learned a lot at Time Out about um, the harsh realities of a commercial environment. So I remember I'd had Riverside, yeah. which was really creative. I'd had a stint at the Design Museum, which was a foot in both worlds. And then at Time Out, it really gave me a solid grounding in commercial acumen, right. I hope. Yeah. Um, you know, I worked at Time Out when we were selling 110,000 copies a week to Londoners. Wow. And when you're selling 110,000 copies, five or six that people were reading a copy. So you're getting to, this is pre really predating online, mm. you're getting to almost a million folk yeah. spreading the message about what to do across cities across the world. So. Yeah. I remember you know, it at its peak, it was the definitive guide to what was going on in it. For sure, for sure. And Tony Elliott um, cares very much about, uh, it doesn't have to be top end, but about uh, quality. And he has instilled that in me. You know, I will walk past 10 perfectly acceptable restaurants that are half empty to queue at a perfect one. Yeah. I really believe you just live once. You've got to have it as good <laughs> as it can be. And part of my job, both with Time Out and the festival, is hopefully um, bringing things to people mm. that are going to really help um, make them think yeah. and possibly, when it's super successful, help change lives. Right, and which is what the next chapter is, because you, you did 12 years at Time Out. I did. You left, essentially, to spend more time with your family, didn't you? I did. I felt um, I'm an only child, incredibly close to both of my parents, both sadly deceased now. And I felt, when I was at Time Out, I felt that um, I was always somewhere else. I had... Um, I got promoted when my son, when I was on maternity leave, I got promoted to essentially group marketing director, which meant I was working a lot more internationally mm -hmm. in New York, in Lisbon, in Paris, ex in Abu Dhabi, in Dubai. And, and I just thought to myself, um, I'm going to, I'm not going to know my son, my husband, who I love, I'm still with him, been with him since I was 18. Um, they're going to have a bond, which is amazing, but I'm not going to be part of that unit. So I um, bravely jacked in, I think, one of the best jobs in the world. Yeah. Uh, wonderful salary, gorgeous connections, global community. And I promised myself I would have a year off. We were going to move back to the north um, for a very long time. We've had a very simple house at the foot of Pendle Hill, uh, two up, two down. So we left this frenetic Brixton Hill life mm -hmm. to all our stuff went into store and we came to our house in Bali. And I, you know, we'd been for weekends over a few years and I could just see the sort of residents thinking, oh, Ick, who are this posh London lot <laughs> coming up here? So I said to Paul, we're going to have to have a party. He's like, how can we have a party? We don't know anybody. And I said, that's it. <laughs> well, I had to stay put. So Paul, being an artist, did an invitation. Mm. And Jack and me pushed them through about, it's a small place, Bali. It's got a population of about 200. 
push them through about 60 doors, no idea who'd come. The whole village rocked up, and of course we didn't know the tea room had fallen out with the pub, who'd fallen out with the farmer. We'd just invited everybody. And lots of differences were reconciled. Tea room didn't open the day after because people had had a really good time. <laughs> uh, pub open late, etc., etc. So it goes back to that thing for me about connecting people. Yeah. So we arrived in Bali, showed the community that we were wanted to be part of it. And I was literally going to walk Jack, my son, to school through fields. And about two weeks into that idyllic time, mm-hmm. um, I got a call from a chap called Alex Poots, yeah. who had been newly appointed festival director, chief exec of a new thing called Manchester International Festival. Now, I'd worked with Alex for years in London. We were friends. He'd come to my leaving party. He would come to Time Out and say, hey, would Time Out support Fatboy Slim on Brighton Beach? Would Time Out support um, Channel 4 have approached me to try and make cricket more democratic and appeal to a younger audience? So I'm doing a big thing on Clapham Common with music and cricket. Would Time Out support that? So we'd become friends through work. Yeah. And he said, I heard you were back. I really want you to help me set up this festival. And I was like, absolutely no chance. I'm having a year off. And I don't know if you've ever met Alexander, but he's one of the most persuasive human beings you're ever likely to encounter. Yeah. He kept ringing. And then in the end, he said, just meet me in Urbis for a cup of tea. How can you not do that as a a working class girl from Blackburn who's back, who cares a lot about culture? So I met him and he was saying, you know, the city went for my crazy notion of a festival of firsts over 18 days every two years, putting artists right at the centre, enabling them to realise their dreams, the thing that had been wearing around in their minds that they never have the opportunity to do. We will make that in Manchester. Audiences will come from the region nationally and internationally. And then we'll take that work out on the road. How can you not be part of that? So to cut a long, (laughs) quite painful story short, I acquiesced. The irony is all these years later, he's buggered off to America. I know. Get me. (laughs) Still here. Was it it totally his vision then? What you described just then, was that his vision? Do you know, I think it really was. I think the city leaders, and by that I probably mean Sir Richard... And Sir Howard, chief uh, leader and chief executive then, respectfully, yeah. of Manchester City Council. I think post-Commonwealth Games yeah. knew that it was smart to build on the momentum of the Games. So, the Games of 2002. Two, you, yeah. you and I were talking 2006? About four. About, okay, right. about yeah. 2004, yeah. I think they, they devised this notion of a festival. Yeah. And then I think they headhunted far and wide and invited people who were right at the top of their game to come up to Manchester, or folk who are in Manchester as well, I'm sure, to say, if you were to get the job of director of this festival, what would your idea be? Mm. Now, I think that was really smart of the city, not determining what the festival should be, but just knowing the economic impact, the profile, the goodwill, the volunteers, and everything that had ensued around the Commonwealth Games, 
not allowing that to dissipate, to yeah. allow, allowing that to build. And Alex's vision was the one I outlined. Yeah. So I think it was probably, I don't know what all the other visions were. Because the Commonwealth Games totally transformed the world's perception of this city. There was other great things Did going it? on. We mentioned Anthony Wilson before. Anthony Wilson had done monumental things to draw attention to what we're doing here. Yeah. But the Commonwealth, Commonwealth Games was like you could just feel everybody in the world looking at our city. Yeah. And we were there on the Friday night when people found out. Well, what Was that the, you remember when 88 State did a gig? Was that the... What was that when they did a gig at Castlefield? There was some announcement to do with Olympics. Was it when we didn't quite get the Olympic announcement? I'm not sure. I think there was something there, but just at that moment, I just thought the world's watching us. We're did all about partying. Yeah, we just yeah. had this bad news, you're not going to do the Olympics, but yeah. we're having a rave instead. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and that's a really good point about Anthony Wilson because um, Alex was very good friends, and still is, as am I, with Peter Saville. And I think it was Peter who helped Alex form his pitch, if you like, for yeah. the city. You know, I think Peter's perspective of Manchester being the original modern city, the birthplace of the Industrial Revolution, suffragette movement, birthplace of the computer, etc., etc. And I think Peter was talking to Alex about, for a successful city festival... It needs to be born out of the fabric, the DNA of the the place, and that Manchester being a city of first, a festival of first, would be a very good thing to suggest to a city yeah. like Manchester. Well, there is no city like Manchester in the world, thank God. Um, so I think that's how that came about. And, you know, it is really risky doing a festival of new work, and there are really good reasons for not doing that... Um, you know, so if you take something on a run from London and then show it in Manchester after it's done 10 weeks in London, London has had all the problems with that run. They've worked them all through. Also, a lot of the expense is in set up. So it's it's risky artistically. Yeah. It's eye-wateringly expensive often. So it was very, very brave. I can not commend Manchester City Council enough for sticking with the festival since its inception when I'm sure the amount of pressure on their budgets, and rightly so, from health, education, all quarters, homelessness, has must have been immense. Yeah, absolutely. What are the highlights over the years for you of the festival? Oh, Clint Boone, that's a really unfair question. <laughs> okay, so I'm... Oh, I've got so many. Um, I think probably... The very first commission we ever did in the very first festival, Monkey Journey to the West. Yeah, I saw that. Did you? Amazing. Yay. Yeah. And because I think what it did, it demonstrated the ambition in one commission. So, you know, let's talk about it. An opera in Mandarin. Yeah. It's not a quick sell. By Damon Albarn. By Damon Albarn <laughs> and, and Shen Shizheng. Yeah. But it was even if you didn't get the narrative, it was sumptuously beautiful, wasn't it? Yeah. The Chinese acrobats and the lighting and the the scale of it. I think I think that and the fact that twenty seven percent of audiences who came to that commission had never stepped foot in a cultural venue before. Yeah. And it's that I love that about the work we do and its potential about 
bringing new audiences to see stuff they didn't even know they might like. Yeah. And then that gives them a, a sort of inner confidence, if you like, to try something next time and to continually push themselves. Yeah. I think that was one of my favourites. I think another one was um, Johnny Vegas in a house in Chalton. You know, when you're booking tickets to a show, you don't know if you're one of 20 or if you're one of a thousand, unless they're numbered. Mm. So about 25 people, every performance, met outside Manchester Central, where they, I think, presumed they were going to see Johnny Vegas perform a comedy show. And they were ushered onto a minibus, would employed an estate agent who had um, done particulars for this house in Chalton. Then there was about a 20, 30-minute um minibus ride with this 25 audience they were tipped off the minibus they had the particulars of the house and then they knocked on the house the bravest one and johnny opened the door and then spent the next hour trying to sell the 25 folk his house oh amazing and it got it sounds fun you know so everyone went into the kitchen and he's like what do you want do you want a brew do you want a beer what's your favorite drink what do you like eating it was very conversational and then the further up the house they got, looking at the various rooms, the scarier and darker it became. And Johnny's quite a big personality. And when you've only got that few an audience, he can really take over. And he'd seen too many, the premise was he'd seen too many TV makeover programmes. And he'd incarcerated his wife on the top floor. And she was screaming and banging to get out. And by the end, people were running for the minibus. That was really um, funny and macabre at the same time. Yeah. Who, who picks, because the, the, the big thing about the festival is that you can't, I can't phone you up and say, come on, I want to come and do a DJ gig or a performance. You guys make the approach, don't you? And, yeah. And work. How does that process work? There's a bit of both now. We've got, um, so John McGrath is the CEO and artistic director. And we've got a whole team of executive producers and producers, a brilliant team best in the world for sure it's a massive team isn't it i was surprised it's big it? now yeah we've got about um one two five 125 wow. and then also you, what you've got to think about is we've got about 300 suppliers so we pour a lot of resource into the the region as well about 500 volunteers yeah. maybe with all the tech crews and everything it could be up to about a thousand yeah. people and for people listening this isn't this isn't us in Manchester just having a big party on taxpayers' money. It brings in a lot of money to huge, tell huge, us some huge. figures what it brings in. So in terms of economic impact, um, over £40 million over 18 days. People come from 50 different countries. So people who run the best institutions all over the world to look at what Manchester's doing. Yeah. So people from Helsinki, Singapore... Dubai, Abu Dhabi, Melbourne. God, I think the arts world in Melbourne is emptying. Uh, Sydney <laughs> Opera House, New York, they're all coming. And what we've got to remember is when they're coming here to see the festival, they're staying over in hotels, they're shopping in shops, they're going to other cultural organisations. Yeah. You know, this isn't just about us. It's about the whole of the city to celebrate yeah. what we're great at. It's not just you and your mates in a minute what's going to Pips anymore, is it? Definitely not. Definitely <laughs> and this year, not. you've got the big names this year. David Lynch is involved. Yeah. 
Yoko Ono, yes. Laurie Anderson. That's just three yeah. amazing names that are going to be putting some yeah, yeah. incredible stuff on here. So the opening event is a wonderful thing where I invite the people of Manchester to join us. Yoko will be directing, whether she's there in person or directing uh, via a film, a huge choir, a, a huge number of people, we hope about 8,000 people, who will ring bells for peace. Wow. And never have we needed that so much. And David Lynch, either. is David Lynch, is he curating a lot of films at the he home? He is. He, he's doing a home takeover. Right. So visual arts, music and film. Yeah. And he, I think it's the largest exhibition of his work, right. his, 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 his visual art. And the Maxine Peak Nico <gasps> thing sounds can't incredible. Wait, can't <laughs> wait for that. So I didn't know, did you? That uh, You probably did, actually. Yeah, she lived here. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, she did, yeah, for yeah a last while. 10 years of her yeah, well, life. Yeah, when she died, she was still based in Manchester. She died in Spain, I think, but uh, she was very much based here for the end of her life. And, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I've talked to, I know Eric Random worked with her. Yeah quite a bit and well a lot and so I think what Maxine isn't doing is an exact rendition of Nico yeah. she's doing her take with wonderful Sarah Franken from the Royal Exchange you know I've worked with Maxine uh, several times now she's a force to be reckoned with yeah. I think that's going to be a really good one powerful and yeah. a lot of these shows they're created for the Manchester International Festival but quite often they do go off and tour the world with them don't they precisely I think um, more than a million people now have seen our work internationally live outside of Manchester but when, you know, when this one's done if somebody yeah. came to you in six months time and said right we've got this amazing opportunity move to Vancouver you and your family we want to do yeah. the same as the Manchester International Festival in Vancouver or San Fran or Tokyo what would you do would you say stuff it I care so much about the Northwest that um, I wouldn't say stuff it because that would be rude. I'd say no, thank you. <laughs> um, I I think that, and I have had extraordinary offers um, to go to other places uh, that are, you know, drop dead exciting um, mm. offers, but. I am a Blackburn girl. This makes me a bit tearful um, through and through. And the prospect of the factory and what that will enable for generations of young people in terms of skills and learning and mm. training opportunities is too important for me to turn my back on. This is something that... With all respect, the man in the street isn't aware of what's yes, about to happen. It's absolutely. being built about 100 yards from where we are sitting at the moment, the old Granada Studios. Yeah. There's a complex being built on there. It's called The Factory. It's going to be inspired by a lot of Anthony Wilson's mindset and Andy Warhol's factory. It's just going to be this massive arts complex that will be making TV and it will be for dance development. And it's just, it's being built here and I don't think people realise what it is. But like you said, yeah. the tens of thousands of people that are going to benefit from that, millions of people over the next thing. couple of decades. And Manchester has a brilliant cultural infrastructure, but it needs a building on this scale. Mm -hmm. And, you know, to have a truly flexible arts facility that will have a combined capacity of about 7,000. We need it. Yeah, definitely. And we deserve it. Yeah. You know, and, and the, there will always be a piece of work being made in there. Actually, 
in the true sense of the word factory, a place where things are made. Yeah. And that being madeness burst open and the apprenticeships and skills and learning built into the core of that. So those sort of back of stage jobs, you know, box office, um, technical, all of that stuff, that, that, that people will be skilled in those sectors yeah. here in this city. They won't have to go to London. They won't have to go to Paris. But then they'll be skilled and then they can go. Yeah. You know, I think... And then there'll always be something being made and then something being presented. And, you know, that presentation aspect will have people... It's very important that Manchester embraces this. This is for them. Absolutely. It, it's for the people of Manchester... It's for the nation. It's and it's it will have international resonance as yeah. well. Try and describe the spirit of Manchester, Christine. Eclectic, infuriating, hilarious, warm, tenacious, and vital. Who are your favourite humans of Manchester ever? Because you are our current guest on Humans of Excess Manchester. Yeah. Who are your favourite humans of Manchester? The people that most inspired you, and they don't actually have to be Mancunians as such. No. I have loved working with Sir Howard Bernstein over a 12-year period. I have found him inspirational in terms of his support for the festival and his vision for the city. I have really learnt a lot from him. I also have enjoyed seeing Maxine, who we talked about earlier, and I suppose um, someone like Peter Saville, I would say Tony. I loved Tony. He was always very, very kind to me. Mm-hmm. He he really loved it when I came back. He loved. He used to love it when people came back from London. We're talking about Tony Wilson. Yeah, so, yeah sorry, Tony yeah. Wilson. Um, but I think Peter, who's still one of my creative advisors on the festival, and you know, in developing the brand for the factory, he's being really crucial mm-hmm. in that. So I think. Those people have oh, been, th- but there have been many, many more. Yeah, brilliant. Before you go then, Christine, describe Manchester in three words. So Manchester to me in three words, I'd rather do 30. So here are my three. Infuriating, innovative and bold. Brilliant, Christine. Don't ever stop hiring those minibuses. Thank you, Christine Court, for being a human of excess Manchester. Thank you, Clint. That was Christine Court. Next week, I'm joined by musician and co-owner of Jimmy's Bar in the Northern Quarter, George Craig. Don't forget to follow us on social media and subscribe to Humans of Excess Manchester. Rate us, feel free to leave us some feedback. We love hearing what you think about our work. Thanks again to our friends at Safer Roads GM for sponsoring this series, and thank you for listening. See you next week. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.